1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports
0: Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and
1: 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey, on today's show, we got three guests. We don't normally do that. Usually, we, you know, cap out at one Tri-fecta. or two. Specta, yeah. We 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 uh, we we love hearing ourselves talk, so we try not to bring others. Correct. But, uh, no, we're going to share today. We're, we're gonna we're gonna wait. I didn't agree be to Open that. to sharing. Well, you're going to have to learn. you are going to have to learn, Nick. That's um, brutal. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, will join us at three forty. Greg Ostertag is set to join us at four thirty. Here to talk about the National Kidley Foundation and some of his past KU basketball stories. And uh, maybe some stuff on his NBA career, too. And uh, then Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour to talk Chiefs. We do have a, another award-winning edition of Lie Detector Test coming up at 4.05. Hang and, on. Uh, we have some player audio. How
3: can a segment be award-winning if we haven't mm-hmm. done it yet? We've done
1: Lie Detector Test before.
3: But not you just said award-winning version. Yeah. I, I it's, okay. a, It wins my award for greatest
1: Lie Detector Test segment. But we haven't country. done it yet the segment itself would be it's like a tv show can be award-winning just because the next episode hasn't come out okay, <laughs> okay. all right uh, we're gonna start things off a little ku football talk this is what we do on thursdays we have fun with numbers which for nick can be a bit of a problem because he doesn't always have fun with numbers um first no, i always today, have fun with numbers you do okay they don't always have fun with you, though. Okay, uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> First yeah. up, Kansas is converting sixty point five percent of their third downs. That leads the FBS this season.
3: So they are what? They're twenty six for forty three. It's pretty crazy. I mean, 40, they ended up leading 42? the Big Twelve. Is it forty two or forty three? Twenty six. I don't 40, know. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I figured you had the number. I did not. I just Dude, have the, the percentage. called fun with numbers. Well, I just have the percentage. There was okay. The well, I'm pretty sure it's twenty six forty three.
1: Well, anyway, they they were number one in the Big Twelve a season ago in yeah. third down conversion rate. They're number one this year, and I think that just goes along with having a good offense, having a good quarterback. Which you have both of those things. Yep. Um, but that I mean, typically, if you look at the end of the season. The best offenses, the best teams are going to convert the most third downs. It it is pivotal to keeping drives alive and winning those sorts of games. It's not like a, I don't know, it's almost like an obvious stat. It's just like turnovers. It's like,
3: like if you win the turnover battle, you're going to do well, of course. If you're good at this, then you will be good. Yeah, but it still is telling to some degree. It's most indicative to me of just what it says is your offense is winning on early downs, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, listen, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. I'm not a rocket scientist. To say that if you have third and four versus third and eight, it's easier to convert the third and four. You're gonna convert more third and fours and third and eights. Oh, wow. Genius. Awesome. So I think it's more indicative of KU success on early downs, and we saw that a lot last year too. And this year that's kind of continued. Devin Neal's averaging over six yards a carry, I think. So, you know, second and four, third and two, second and four, third and three, whatever. You're gonna you're gonna be more likely to convert those those types of plays. So that makes sense, right? I I think that's really the most impressive part of the stat is it just to me it just shows that KU doesn't need to convert a lot of third and longs. They aren't always in those situations because they normally do a pretty good job of moving the chains early on or setting themselves up to be more successful in a third-down situation on a third and shorter yardage. That being said, we talked about this earlier in the week, that's basically what Texas' defense does is the best at, yep. right? They're third in the country in success rate, so basically they are the best at making sure that your offense is not in a third and short, or third and manageable situation. Yes. And so when you
1: do get there, they're only allowing opponents to convert thirty percent. So yeah. you basically double so it's, that.
3: It's really a strength against strength coming into the game against Texas. So that's an area that's I'm going to be keeping an eye on. Right? I mean, is KU going to be able to get to second and five, second and four, or is it going to be second and eight, second and seven? Right? Yeah. I mean, though, I mean, it's it seems so it seems so minute, but those, those types of those, winning in those areas can be the difference between literally winning and losing the game. Right? I mean, if if you're if your offense really has to, it's a slog, you got to face a lot of third and longs that you maybe you don't convert all of them, versus if you're still able to get yourself into third and manageable, third and medium, you know that, that can be a difference between going down and scoring a touchdown and three and out. So that to me is probably one of the things I'll be keeping the closest eye on actually in this game against between KU and Texas is because it is a strength against strength. You have two teams that are in the top five, in this case Kansas, the best in the country at one area and Texas being really, really good at basically mitigating that. And so I want to keep an eye on that a lot. Like what if KU tries to run the ball on early downs, are they successful? Can they stay ahead of the chains? Because, you know, Jalen Daniels has not really, I mean, if you think about it, Jalen Daniels has not really been forced to throw the ball vertically up the field very much Mm -hmm. this season. And I think part of that is because KU has not been forced into a lot of third and long situations where he's had to throw the ball 10, 15 yards downfield. Well, what if that changes against Texas? Can Jalen Daniels step step up and make those types of plays? I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying he hasn't been forced to yet this season because KU hasn't needed him to. But does that change against Texas, and can Jalen Daniels step up in those moments?
1: Yes. Uh, by the way, I was actually surprised to learn uh, Texas is only eighth in the conference in third down rate. They're at uh, 37%, so that'll be interesting uh, for this week. Okay, how about this number? Daniel Highshaw. Is that their offense? Yeah, record? their offense. Wow. Their defense is is one of the best in, in the conference. Quinn Ewers. This, that guy stinks. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Hyshaw is on pace for 705 rushing yards, 9 rushing touchdowns in a 12 game season. Does KU have the best running back duo in the Big 12?
3: Uh, okay, let's see. You get on the list of running back duos. So Texas obviously has a pretty good duo. They've got they uh, Baxter who I think was the number 1 rated running back mm-hmm. in the country. And then Jonathan Brooks and then has 400 Brooks, who yards rushed for 100 yards against KU last year, mm-hmm. backing up Bijan Robinson. Yep. So they've got up there. they've got two pretty good guys. But I think in terms of proven talents you almost have to go with KU, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, would you consider Daniel Highshaw to be proven at this point? Um, He had a great start to the year last year, but then was hurt for the first Yeah, the, year, the, the only question been, is just the
1: fumbling and the injury history, right? Yeah. I mean, from, from just a talent perspective, from it's like a the production perspective, yeah, it's
3: all there. Yeah, and obviously Devin Neal. Right. And then, you know, you go, uh, let's see, around the around the conference. I mean, Giddens just uh, had a really big yeah, you week. K-State with Giddens and uh, Ward, but Ward's, Ward's Bailey hurt. Bailey for
1: TCU's doing really well. Uh, do they have a second guy, though? Uh, I, I, not that I know of. Iowa State. I
3: don't even know who Iowa State's running back is. To be quite honest with you, I
1: mean UCF has two guys who are in the top ten in in rush- So there's two teams in the Big Twelve who have two running backs both in the, if we're looking at it from a production standpoint, okay. two guys who are top ten individually in rushing yards. One's Kansas with Highshaw uh, who's tenth, Neal is fourth, and the other is UCF. Johnny Richardson is seventh, and R.J. Harvey is ninth. So, I mean, from okay. a production standpoint, you can make the, the real argument.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, listen. K-State has Sean Ward listen, at 13th. We had this discussion earlier in the week about Devin Neal being a top-five running back in the country. If you think that's true, and Daniel Highshaw is even remotely close to being in the top 25 running backs in the country or whatever, mm-hmm. then absolutely, KU's got the best. Yeah. I, I think
1: it is. I think it really is. Because the way I view it is, Devin Neal right now is pacing to be a first-team All-Big 12 running back. Right? Daniel Highshaw. let's just say that we fast forward a year, and I guess maybe this isn't the best way of looking at it because you'd have another offseason. Let's just say Devin Neal uh, would have gone, I, I don't know, was was pro, after, like, right now. Like, he just, you know, left and Devin decided to exist. go to the supplemental draft. Whatever, he Snap sure. your fingers and he's yeah, gone. okay. Would Daniel Hyshaw, outside of the fumbling issues, would he have enough production to be an all-conference running back? Maybe I it wouldn't would be first team because there's a lot so, of other yes. good backs, but I think he would. Yes, you I would know? think so, too. And so if you have two of those guys, it, it's hard not to be like, yes, yeah. right? So no, I, think I, that, I, I, think I agree with that.
3: I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, Daniel Hyshaw has proven as a talent, like you said, besides the fumbling issues and whatnot and the injuries. Devin Neal, obviously, you, I think is at this point a lock to be first-team All-Big 12 running back, I would think, mm-hmm. right? I mean, with the way he's been playing to start the year. Uh, and what, what's interesting about that is typically when you have great running back duos, it's like, you know, the old i know you hate this but thunder and lightning you know one one <laughs> well, does one rock, thing with scissors, but rock paper scissors you know with, with Brian's getting in here in studio KU, I, I need to pitch him rock paper it's scissors thunder he's the one who can get off the ground. or thunder <laughs> cuz they both i mean they don't, they don't run the exact same way but you know devon neal is a one cut runner that's got a lot of power and obviously Shaw is just a guy that just doesn't go down yeah i heard somebody describe Devin neal as a as a bowling ball with knives sticking out of it that's
1: great. I love that. That see, you can't use that as a nickname because it's too long. You can't be like, and here goes the the bowling, the bowling ball with nice. sticking out of it. Like it's too long. But I love the description at the same <laughs> point in time. The only the, the only negative there is a bowling ball doesn't cut super well. You know, it's
3: straight. You toss it down. Yeah, and that's where it goes. I don't know if you get some good. No, if you get some good spin on it, it's it, it cuts.
1: I guess that's true, right, dude? You know, don't a you watch Pete dude, Weber action? You on ever
3: it. watch the little PBA man? The little pew, the yeah. spin. I guess that's fair. Yeah, Yeah, I I like
1: that description. Uh, Speaking of rushing yards, though, Jalen Daniels, our next number here, has 74 rushing yards this season. Obviously, he missed the first game, so that lowers the number. But... Last year, he had 114 rushing yards through the first two games, and that was even including the Tennessee Tech game where he didn't play in the second half. So it it, it is it is vast the difference. Obviously, they're still using him at times in the running game, and I think this is the right approach because you're trying to keep him healthy over the course of the year. Yeah, but it's vast how different it is with him running the football this year.
3: Yeah, again, I I think the the best way to describe Jalen Daniels running the ball this year with the KU offense is intentional. They are when they are running him, it's it's intentional. It's not just Go out there and run around and do whatever you want, you know, or scramble whatever. There, there's some real intentionality behind scheming up exactly when and how this offense wants to utilize Jalen Daniels rushing the ball. But again, they might be at their best when they just say, Jalen, go run around and play backyard football and do your thing, right? Mm-hmm. That, they might be at their best when they do that. But obviously, there's some risk involved with that. And uh, in a game against Texas, uh, again, I would almost advocate for saying for letting Jalen do that. Just saying, Hey, Jalen, go, go do your thing, man. I don't care. Go run around. Go make plays. You do you. And see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would almost advocate for that in this game against Texas. Yeah. I, I think this is one of those you kind of take the governor off.
1: Um, then again, it is still such take a the long season. The governor. You've never heard that before? What is that? Uh, it's the thing you have on your car that prevents you from going actually the full speed. What? On your odometer, or, uh, not odometer, your your speed thing. You never heard of this? No, I think you're making this up. All right, well, uh, why
3: would they call it a governor? That's the dumbest name I've it ever. It governs
1: heard. how fast you can go. Like
3: you can actually. No, only a governor go... is a person in charge of government. Governor, government, governor. What?
1: Okay. All
3: right, whatever you say.
1: I'll uh, let some people inform you on Listen, that. Listen, I'm not a
3: car guy, so no. I'm not a car yeah. guy either.
1: But I just I know what that is. Uh, anyway, wow. uh, here's another number: zero combined touchdowns for Lawrence Arnold, Quentin Skinner. Mason Fairchild. If I told you one of those three gets in the end zone this Saturday, who are you picking?
3: Uh, I think if KU maybe wants to win, the answer might have to be Skinner because that would indicate that maybe you get a deep ball touchdown. Or Mason Fairchild. Those are the two options I would go with.
1: I actually – I'm going to go Arnold here. He's from okay. Texas. Ah. Show-out game for him. Probably means a little – Like, when you, Texas, oh. okay. when, when you make it out of the state of Texas – from Texas too? I thought he's from Oklahoma. Oh. Okay. When you make it out of the state of Texas – Sometimes you do play with that chip. It, it's the same thing, like, you know, if, if you get under-recruited by your own state. Oh, yeah. And obviously this is different because Texas is on, you know, it's it's not just, oh, it happens to be a school in my state. It's like, well, this is one of the, I don't know, more notable college football programs in the country. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I could see Arnold having it. Who, By the way, Arnold is having the sneakiest, like, good season to me. He has, he's on pace for 738 yards, which that's is actually good. more than he had last year. And that's through 12 games. Wouldn't even yeah. count the bowl game. That is um, good. But also, I think it's funny because we talked a lot in the offseason, Like, would somebody assert themselves to be an and nine hundred thousand yard receiver? And it's like, no, no, it's too balanced. We're all just gonna everybody's get like six hundred yards, and five yeah. touchdowns each, except yeah. for Luke
3: Graham, uh, who's probably gonna get a bunch of touchdowns. He'll have twelve touchdowns <laughs> on thirty catches. Well, see, this thing you you would figure yeah. Mason Fairchild would be more of a red zone target for this game offense, and it just hasn't. Maybe really, that's what
1: the defenses are thinking. And then for other people, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe,
3: maybe, yeah. maybe. You know, I don't know. Uh, how about J.B. Brown leading KU football with five
1: tackles for loss this year? That puts him on pace for 15. You just multiply by three. We're through four games. Yeah. Obviously, he didn't play as much maybe earlier in the season, so maybe you could say it should be higher. But I actually went back. I was curious. Who was the last KU football player to have 15 tackles for loss? Mm-hmm. You go back. Lonnie Phelps, I think, had 11 and a half last year. Kyron Johnson, I want to say, was that like nine, nine and a half? Okay. You have to go all the way back to 2017 with Joe Denine, who, by the way, had 22 of them. Jeez. Beast. Also, Daniel Wise had 16 that year. I'm oh. two of them that year, but it means you have to go
3: back six years. And I think was 2017 the year where KU football had like 20,000 forced turnovers, and their turnover margin was like plus 20, but they still went like one and eleven or whatever. Uh, they did go one and eleven in twenty seventeen. You're you're thinking of twenty eighteen. Ah, that was
1: the year they went three and nine because they they blasted Rutgers. That Art Sitkowski yeah. helped that yep. turnover number. Yep. Um, like, that, but that was the year they, they were like three and nine picks. with what uh, I think maybe freshman Puka that year, and and they probably should have won more because they lost to Nichols that year. Yeah. And yeah. they lost. Oh yeah, they lost to Nichols, and then they blew out. They, they lost. They to lost K State by four because Peyton Bender didn't he like yeah, drop the, the ball trying to go back on yeah. the last drive. And then they only lost by seven to Texas, so there's another close Texas game. So, I mean, team honestly could have gotten Bull eligible (laughs) or at least gotten kind of close to it. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, furthermore on the tackle for loss numbers, KU has seven players right now with two or more tackles for loss. They have 18 players with at least half a tackle for loss. The last time that KU had more than one player, though, get double-digit tackles for loss in the same season was 2018. Joe Denine and Daniel Wise did it for the second straight year, huh. uh, but right now KU's on pace not to just have two. They're on pace to have four with J.B. Brown, Austin Booker, Jeremy Robinson, and Kenny Logan, and then Marvin Grant is like he has three right now, so he'd be only one off the pace. You have a couple other defensive linemen in there right now. Uh, make no mistake, as you're looking at the defense getting better. A big reason why is because they have more dudes who have been able to penetrate, get into the backfield.
3: Yeah, and the fact that sacks had counted as tackle for loss help mm-hmm. a guy like Austin Booker and Jimmy Robinson because you figure if those dudes can rack up you know four or five sacks each, which Austin Booker already has what three and a half I think right now, yeah, somewhere like that, <sighs> maybe th- yeah three three and a half somewhere in that range yeah. So again, if those guys can rack up you know five or six sacks each, then you just need a couple more tackles for loss and you do that double digit number and and obviously I think I expect Tavie Brown to get to that number because he's just we talked about it. He's just the type of linebacker that can knife through a line unblocked and just absolutely blast somebody in the backfield and mm-hmm. make a big hit. That's kind of that's kind of part of his style. And so I would figure he would get there and yeah, that's great to see, right? I mean uh, g- circling back to your kind of no duh on the stats, if you get tackles for loss, your defense is gonna be better. <laughs> duh. <laughs> that's just how it goes. Yeah. So if, if Katie's able to keep doing that, that's fantastic. And it's really exciting. I mean, J.B. Brown has been probably everything we could have asked for, and maybe even and then some. I mean, I don't know what your expectations for him. Obviously, I think as the off-season and fall camp continued to progress, and there was more and more talk about J.B. Brown, our expectations maybe went higher and higher. But he's definitely exceeded that. I think still at this point, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I I was
1: very high on J.B. Brown. I've been the champion of the J.B. Brown fan club. Yep. But uh, this has even exceeded those expectations, especially this early on. Um, the last number that I have here goes back to the tackles for loss. KU has 35 total as a team. If you compare that to the first four games last year, they had 22 in the first four games. So on its own, that's 13 more over the first four games. That's three more per game. That is a yeah. sizable difference. But then it becomes even more sizable when you take into account last year that 12 of them came in the Tennessee Tech game Jeez. of the first four. So they're, they're three it's FBS over half. games. Yeah, the three SPF games, they had 10. 10, right? So that's that's basically three per game. Um, This year, KU with the 35, that puts them on an average of basically right under nine per game. Um, So you're talking about a plus six per game difference. And I mean, that is just such a gigantic number. Now, if we want to do the same as we did for 2022 and say, well, take out the FCS game and only count the uh, FBS game. In uh, KU's win over Missouri State, they had nine tackles for loss. So if you take that out in KU's three FBS games this 26. year, 26. That's still in eight. KU's first three last year, 10. So yeah. again, that but it's almost nine. You'd be one way from nine. Yes. So basically nine to three. You're tripling <laughs> up the numbers there. It's a gargantuan difference, which is crazy yeah. when you look back and how worried we are about, or, or we were, I'm sorry, about losing Lonnie
3: Phelps. Yeah, and listen, and if, if if an opposing offense runs sixty plays per game, and you're getting nine, ten tackles per loss for loss mm-hmm. in, of those sixty plays, that's a sizable chunk that is definitely going to impact the opposing offense mm-hmm. if you can if you can stay on the pace for that. So that's definitely not insignificant. And obviously, you know, a three times jump is certainly something. To, to keep an eye on and keep note of. Yes. And,
1: uh, you know, w- when you look at the kind of efficiency numbers of how much a offensive drive changes, I, I, I've talked about this article several times on this show at different points. I'm going to bring it back up now. This is, again, just a, a one-week thing that happened like four years ago. So, you know, it it, it has its pitfalls, I'm, I'm sure, maybe some things that are different. But I think it just it, it echoes a good example of this. And this was uh, in Stadium, again, back on September 12th of 2019. And they did a study where they analyzed every drive from every game involving a top 25 team in one week. This was in week two of that 2019 season, which gave them a sample size of more than 500 drives. So it's still a small sample when you compare it to the overhaul of a full season or, you know, all all this stuff. But again, it it gives you, you know, some some sort of stuff. And here's what happened. When when offenses had drives where they had no sacks, penalties, tackles for loss, fumbles, interceptions, um, they were able to score 4.6 points per drive. So on average, they were getting between a field goal and a touchdown, right? Yeah. Um, When there was one penalty committed by the offense, that number drops to 1.8 points per drive. Just one penalty, right? That can can completely do you in. When there's one tackle for loss on the drive, 1.5 points per game. So all of a sudden you're talking, if you're getting a tackle for loss on five drives, that means over those five drives you're probably only giving up on average a touchdown. Yeah. and then they might only get three or four other drives the whole game. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I mean and, then if there's, and then if it goes down, if you have a sack on the drive, it goes to .9. If you have one sack, one penalty, and one tackle for loss on the same drive, it goes down to .6. So like, <laughs> it, it has a very tangible difference how yeah. just one play that puts an offense behind the down and
3: distance can completely change everything. Well, look at the game against BYU. KU is a fourth down. They run the sugar huddle, false start. Tweet! Guess what? <laughs> no points. And that was the difference. Yep. All
1: right, uh, Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us in about 15 minutes from right now. we got some uh, KU football audio we're going to share with you on the other side. That'll be with uh, one of KU football's running backs that we just talked about with Daniel Hyshaw. You're listening to Rock Jock Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and now we're joined in studio by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Pre-game coverage, Crimson Blue Show, starts at 1 o'clock right here on KLWN through the Jayhawk Radio Network on Saturday, kickoff at 2.30. You can hear that here on KLWN and our sister station with 105.9 Kiss. I, I can't remember if I, I brought this up to you, Brian. Uh, um, I, I have a potential nickname for the running backs, you. Okay. Did I bring this up to you before? No, I've okay. heard this. Uh, I, want your, I want your thoughts <laughs> on warning, this. Forewarning, it's, yeah. not, it's not very good. Nick doesn't like it. <laughs> I talked to somebody else who loved it. So, I don't know. Um, okay. So, we hear thunder and lightning all the time, right? Sure. Very used, right? I, I wanted to think of something it's different. boring. Yeah, overused. I like rock, paper, scissors.
0: Oh. Daniel okay. Highshaw's
1: the rock, right? Powerful runner. Strong guy. Uh, Devin Neal's the scissors because he's good at cutting. Okay. Right, and then the paper can be like Tory Lachlan, Dylan McDuffie, because they cover everything. You know, they, <laughs> they they do whatever you need them to. Paper is very versatile. I like that.
0: You know, <laughs> I did a I did a bowl game about ten years ago in the Bahamas Bowl. I'm trying to think of the matchup. It was it was like Western Michigan, and they had a uh, a running back combo that they called Earth, Wind, and Fire. See, I love that. Mm-hmm. Right, that is good. Uh, which, see, but that
1: would work for Kansas too because yeah, is the band. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. so
0: it makes perfect sense yeah but but in this case you know earth i suppose would be high shaw um is is wind or fire Devin neal Hmm. i could see both being applicable
1: right see wind could almost be Savion morrison though Uh, but he's only played in one game yeah yeah i don't know that's a good question um all the kids are saying he's fire though you know so it's like true i don't know yeah. we'll circle back on that okay one. yeah there's something there. there's we'll workshop it we'll work did you
0: out. know where the band kansas went to high school by the way
1: well we actually we, we, headed, we did this we did on this. our morning show on kiss we, yeah. we had a trivia question i can't remember if you got it right i, or wrong. I got it wrong um but yeah it was in topeka Right? west. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Go Chargers, my alma mater. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, I think it tricked Nick because he was like, "There's no way it'd be this obvious." Because I think the question—yeah, the was, question was which band is from Topeka? Yeah, and it was like it was Kansas, Kansas and other options, you know? and I didn't know which one it was. Would have thought the band actually called Kansas.
0: So instead, he went with Nirvana. Yes. <laughs>
1: <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so KU takes on Texas this Saturday. Top twenty-five matchup. Longhorns have have a really talented squad. Uh, let's start with the—I don't know—maybe offensive side of the ball for KU against the defense of Texas. Certainly, anytime you see a defense kind of pushing around Alabama, that jumps out. Now, Alabama, uh, since then, hasn't shown to be the best offense. I don't, I don't know how much you do or don't take from that game, but um, what do you envision being the biggest challenge and, and maybe something that you need to see KU do well if, if they're going to be successful on Saturday uh, from the offensive perspective against the Texas defense?
0: Well, I think that's uh, similar to our keys last week when we talked about the importance of winning the battle in the trenches, and that proved to be the case, and it was a favorable key for Kansas. They did win the battle in the trenches. It's just as important this week, but it's maybe three times tougher. And when you look collectively from a defensive standpoint, like you were saying, the Texas defense, it's more the front seven than just the the D-line, but you've got multiple NFL high draft picks. You've got multiple All-American talents on this defense, and so I'll be curious to see how rock, paper, scissors, earth, wind, and fire, whatever <laughs> we're calling them, how they fare You know, in, in trying to... Do what they did very well versus BYU. I mean, how special was it in the fourth quarter to see Kansas wearing down a tired BYU team, taking what they wanted in a drive that was about six and a half minutes long, chewed up, you know, almost half that fourth quarter. You go in and score, put the game on ice. The exact narrative and script that we've been on the wrong side of for like a decade we were doing it to them. Now, that's going to be really tough to do against the Texas defensive front that has all kinds of big-time talent, all kinds of preseason All-Americans, and uh, Jalen Ford, preseason Big 12 Mm -hmm. Defensive Player of the Year. He's a guy that's closing in on a bunch of Derek Johnson's career records at Texas. I know that makes Nick's ears perk up as a big Chiefs guy. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean they've got as impressive of a front seven as we'll see all year. So curious to see what that looks like. I'm equally curious to see how our O-line handles... You know, the, the pass rush, not just from a, a ground attack standpoint of how did Devin and Daniel do, but for me, the biggest key for Kansas's offensive execution is very quick and decisive reads made by Jalen and getting the ball out half a Mississippi quicker than you might have to other weeks. If you do that, I think we can move the chains on these guys. I think you can find some pockets within the defense to to get that yardage and, and keep up with them drive for drive, score for score. But Jalen's got to get the ball out hot. And uh, and if so, I, I like our chances. You know, as, as David Lawrence very astutely pointed out last night on Hawk Talk, and I'm sure he'll say it with you guys tomorrow, our guys, when they stand next to Xavier Worthy and to Tavion Sanders, they maybe don't pass the eyeball test with Jared Casey and and uh, Luke <laughs> yeah. Grimm next to those guys that, that have the all-world measurables and all that stuff. But you know what? From being good old-fashioned, productive college football players, they absolutely stack up. And we'll take our guys who have confidence and recent memories of excelling in that very venue just two years ago. We'll take that every day of the week. So really intrigued to see how all that shakes out and pans out come Saturday afternoon. But our guys go in with a quiet confidence, a an excitement to be a part of this game as a highly talked about team. Yeah, you're not going to catch anybody sleeping on Kansas nowadays two years later you're not going to catch anybody by surprise but our guys are excited about what's there for the taking and the way I look at it is if you break this conference race and this quest toward a league title into one month chunks I think maybe you were the one that asked me to do that a couple weeks ago we said at the time go three and one in the first month everybody was expecting this to be the one the one loss right you already got a really challenging home game to go your way the road trip to Stillwater isn't looking as tough as it once did six months ago. Nobody's expecting you to win this one. But if you do, if you do, yeah. you got inside pole position. If you want to put it in golf terms because Derek's a big golfer, you just birdie the number one handicap <laughs> yeah. hole on the back nine. I mean, you, you've got that inside track to being one of the top two teams that gets to go to Dallas at the end of the year. So there is so much to be gained by a win There's not a ton to lose if you lose the game, so long as you don't get beat up physically and leave with a bunch of injuries. But uh, I think Kansas goes down absolutely expecting to win, absolutely expecting to make a statement nationally. And you wouldn't just be the toast of the conference. You'd be the talk of college football if you pull this off. So that's what's there for the taking come Saturday afternoon
3: yeah on the topic of Jalen Daniels you go back to last last season in the game against Texas I believe that was his first game back from a shoulder injury and he didn't yep. really show his legs much at all I wonder how much him rushing in this game against Texas might be a factor because Texas didn't really see that from him last year because of the injury and how much will they prepare for that and I was just curious Brian if you think that that needs to be an element of KU's offense going to be successful in this game how much do you think Jalen Daniels needs to maybe utilize the lower half of his body as much as, <laughs> as much as his upper half
0: Great question. It's the second time I've been asked that today. The, the Texas guys are paying attention to that too, and they were asking you know, if he's averaging nine carries per game, does Kansas try to do more? I don't know. I think it depends. They take what the defense gives them and we'll see what the matchup uh, you know, yields for Jalen Daniels in this case. I'm not sure they set out to run any more than they already have, but it's an extra element that uh, certainly is, can be a huge difference maker for Kansas. And there's no doubt this will be the best quarterback they will have faced with some of the Alabama mm-hmm. QB carousel stuff that's been going on with the Crimson Tide. So I think it's an important facet. I don't know that it's emphasized any more than it has been in a previous week, but I think the big thing that is emphasized is whatever he's doing, whether it's option pitch, whether it's three-step drop and throw, get it out quickly, uh, get the ball on time, and and let's see if they can carve them up in smaller chunks because I don't know that there's time for a whole lot of five-step drop backs and chuck it 40 yards downfield with what I anticipate being a really stout texas pass rush but we'll see uh but you're right and that's that's a great observation because they certainly uh scale back a bit in that first game back versus texas a year ago and as lance recalls you know it was over by halftime and we have much different plans for this final go-round to the 40 acres this year in austin
1: yeah so switching over to the defensive side of the ball um i thought it was interesting during the press conference for brian borland i was asking him about if last year served as any sort of motivation he kind of stopped me and, and when I said gave up over 400 yards he, he said exactly 427 yeah, yeah we know um so clearly it's, it's being used as some sort of motivation now it's it's one thing to be motivated it's another thing to have to go up against a very talented Texas offense and uh, a number that I kind of found earlier this week KU is 10 and 0 in the Lance Leipold era when they give up four and a half yards per carry or less they're 2 and 17 when they don't wow so, I mean, the run defense has been a big thing, and that, that's easier said than done. Texas has a good offensive line. They've got a couple really talented running backs. They're going to be Jonathan Brooks, who was their third string last year, still had over 100 rushing yards. Against Kansas, even behind the uh, two pros that they had on the roster. When you look at this side of the football, what do you think would be considered a good day for the KU defense, which has been much improved so far this season? But this might be the best offense you're going up against. I don't don't know. Certainly up there. There are a lot of good offenses in the Big 12.
0: Yeah. Well, first off, Brian Borland's really soft spoken. And for him to interject and interrupt any question (laughs) means that stat was very much just etched in the forefront of his mind. And I thought that was the quote of the whole day. And normally Andy Kotelnicki has, right. has the best quotes uh, of the coordinator day. But when Borland interrupted you, that exchange, and it wasn't by the way, disrespectful No, no, not at all. At all. No, I, it,
1: I said that yesterday. Yeah. It was, it was to I make a point. It, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and we all love him. He's, he's a blast to get to cover. He's such a good guy, but it was to make a point. And my point is when his personality is not the type to say, 427, not that anybody's counting. You know he has lost a lot of sleep over that Mm -hmm. in the last 12 months between games. And so, um, yeah, I I think I look at it like this. You know, B. Robinson, yes, was a a once-in-a-generational talent, they say, at running back. Best running back draft pick in the NFL maybe in the last eight years, okay? But... When you look at what Texas is paying their offensive linemen in terms of name, image, and likeness and how they really do get the pick of the litter, left tackle all the way through right, I'm not saying you could put anybody back there and have a successful yeah. running game, but like this is one system facet of Texas, the ground attack, where pick your four-star backpack there, and, he, and he's going to be able to produce. And, and so it's no surprise that Jonathan Brooks has taken that baton and run with it and has had a really successful start to the year, nearly 400 yards over the course of this first month, 379 on the ground, had two TDs last week. Uh, no surprise that even though you know, Roshan Johnson's with the Bears now and Robinson's with the Falcons and all that, that they're still producing. But um, can Kansas... My whole thing is I'm not expecting them to bottle them up at all. Certainly what happened last week is is the exception, not the norm, to hold BYU to nine yards Mm -hmm. in 22 attempts. But can you contain them to four and five yards a rush to where at least – third down requires viewers to make a throw or make a play you know if you're getting gashed and they're ripping off 8 10 12 yards of carry and they're operating ahead of schedule and you're never in third and medium then Texas is having a field day against you and so can you force them to get off schedule just enough that Ewers has to make a play. And we all know the stat. He hasn't thrown a pick in 228 passes. They're the only Big 12 team without an interception, one of eight in the FBS not to have thrown a pick in the first month. I get it. But I I don't think that he's otherworldly by any means. There have been a few throws that easily could have resulted in a takeaway. And I think Kansas would be doing well if you could contain the ground game just enough that yours does have to go to the air in some crucial drive determining third down throws. And cause that's where you get to see Kobe and Mello sure. and Kenny shine and see how do they measure up with Worthy and Winnington and and a great tight end to Jatavion Sanders. So really excited to see those types of of matchups come into play if the the ground defense of kansas that the run game defense can do just enough to force Ewers to have to be on third
1: yeah and i think that's where i mean i was we were looking today texas is converting 37 percent of their third downs that's that's a lot lower than you would think uh we were looking the other day quinn ewers was 65 passer rating when under pressure but problem is he's only been under pressure 13 times this year you right. know so it's 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 tough to kind of get there but if you can you have the opportunity there um I I don't know at all how much – I know Lance Leipold doesn't want to talk about this, and I understand that from his perspective about the past meeting back in Austin and uh, how that all went. But from a broadcast perspective, I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of storytelling done in regards to the last meeting in Austin 2021 with the Jared Casey two-point conversion and everything that KU did in that game and, and winning in Austin for the first time. Have you thought about it at all? Is it going to be extra fun, uh, extra nostalgic or something to be back in the booth down there? It has to be. Yeah. And,
0: and I just checked my watch to make sure I don't go on too long of a tangent here because no doubt we yeah. would be winning under Lance Leipold even if that game didn't happen two years ago. But having said that, would we be at the current trajectory we're on right now? Would we be as far along in this program's development and, and the rapid ascension of the return of Kansas football? I think that you won?
1: could argue the same for them, that that was probably a fork in the road moment yeah, for them yeah. you know, with how much they heard about that loss.
0: That's very astute. But think about it. If you don't win that one, but you win the following week in 2021 in TCU, does it have as much pop and sizzle? No. If you don't win that one, but you win the home finale versus West Virginia with 10,000 people in the stands, does it have as much cachet? Not at all. But you beat Texas in Austin for the first time ever in really exciting, out-of-nowhere fashion. And suddenly, not just in recruiting, not just in the donor base, but especially between the ears of the players in that locker room, you instilled belief that, hey – the Jayhawks aren't just coming, they're about to arrive. And that momentum spilled over into a fabulous offseason in strength and conditioning with Matt Gildersleeve, a tremendous level of belief. And, you know, we say it all the time, and it's super cliche, but you got to believe it to achieve it. Belief was instilled that night that we can win in this league, regardless of opponent, regardless of venue. And look at how that spilled over into the spring, the summer, and then how did last season start? 5 and 0. Oh with road wins in Morgantown and in Houston for a program that not too long before that hadn't won on the road anywhere in a decade. Okay, so to me, without talking about it too much, because I know Coach doesn't want us to, (laughs) we would still be winning, and we'd still probably have a stadium on the way and all that stuff, even without that win. But there is no doubt in my mind that if KU truly did operate a year ahead of schedule last year, making it to a bowl in year two and winning six games and all that... One of the biggest reasons why, if not numero uno was because they won in Austin and the ripple effect that that had in charting a course much higher, much faster than we would have been otherwise without it. Yes. And so so to me, you can't undersell the significance of that game and the storyline of the Lance Leipold era. And I get it. He doesn't want to put too much focus on that because to quote him from earlier today in his office, when we tape pregame, he said, big reason why I said that was they kind of boat raced us last year at home. And I don't want to make too much of a game that's two years old when the more recent head-to-head was them getting the best of us. So that, that had as much to do with his comments Monday as anything. But I think when we think back on where this program really took flight and what that seminal moment was, that launch pad, it was absolutely deep in the heart of Texas in the 5-1-2, the mighty Casey making a catch, a kid that wasn't anywhere on our spotting boards before that <laughs> night. Let's just be honest. He was fifth string, and there were injuries at, at practice in Lawrence earlier that week and in that game in Austin that catapulted him into even being on the field. And then the pride of Plainville mm-hmm. comes through when it mattered most. Nobody saw that yep. coming.
1: Change the face of Applebee's forever. Well, uh, Brian, (laughs) I appreciate the time. Appreciate you coming in here. Uh, Before we let you go, uh, a word from Nate Miller? It was just in
0: Nate's office right before I came over here. He was giving us a bunch of checks they collected for the Roundball Classic. Awesome. I love this guy and what he can do for your financial future, but I also love his heart for local philanthropic endeavors like the Roundball Classic, and they continue to do stuff to bless our organization on a weekly basis over there. So take your money and your financial future to a guy I trust personally, Nate Miller and the Miller Retirement Group. Check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com.
1: He's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer.
4: Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All
1: right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Greg Tag at 4.30. Jesse Newell at 5.05. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be back after this break on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Greg Ostertag coming up um, later this hour at about 4.30 here on the show. We'll uh, also get to a college football crackdown. And then coming up at 5.05, we're going to talk some Chiefs. Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey with uh, Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star. we got some more KU football audio we're going to get to in the show as well. Uh, we're going to get to a lie detector test, though, right now. If you're new to this segment, basically we see different quotes or things that were said from people in the athletic world and discuss yeah. if we think they're lying or not.
3: People lie, man.
1: People do people lie. Especially lie. in
3: the sports world. You know world. who doesn't lie, though? Us on this show. No. Never, never. once. Ever. Never. never once. Never, ever have I ever lied about anything. Mm, never. Ever. Not once.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Uh, first up, Dave Aranda, the Baylor head coach. Okay. He, this was after they lost to Texas on Saturday. 38-6, I think was the final score, right? He said he still believes that this Baylor roster is Big 12 championship
3: caliber. I mean, this is obviously a lie, right? Either that or Dave is just blind well, and, okay. and not very You know what bright? the funny
1: part of this is to me? Before we get into if it's a lie or not. Okay. If, what's Baylor's record? One in three yeah. at this yeah. point. So they've lost, they, they lost, lost to Utah, Texas they lost State, to Texas Utah. State, and they lost to Texas. And then I they, think beat they beat LIU thirty to seven. Yeah, they're one in three. They're one in three. If he's saying we have a Big Twelve championship caliber roster and you're one in three, who does that come back on? The head coach? Yes, the guy that puts together yes. the roster. So this is basically him saying I'm doing very <laughs> bad at my job. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's kind of the funny part of this. oh, um, yeah, because if you have a lot of, if you have a, if your <laughs> roster is that good and you suck, right? It's like, it's well, where's your fault? Exactly, exactly. So I, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, now that said, is this a lie? I do think it is. I don't well, think they have a Big Twelve championship caliber. Right. Why would he? But <sighs>
3: okay, why would he even say that? Like, what? What I, does Dave Aranda have to gain? The motivation by saying. This is probably to me he, Is it just but, a, a PR thing To try
1: to no. get his players To feel yes. better about themselves I think what it is Is he senses You know Because different locker rooms Sometimes <clears throat> when you lose Your locker room Maybe is going to be super angry Yeah It or feels like depressed. to me Their locker room Is probably down on themselves They sad. don't have a lot of confidence They they probably think they're, they're bad This is probably him Trying to get the confidence Of the roster up So I understand the purpose of it I don't think it's accurate It's definitely not accurate I mean Big championship Caliber roster Even if I was
3: coaching them Beats Texas State Yes, yes. And a Big 12 championship caliber roster against another Big 12 championship caliber roster in Texas does not lose by 30. Right. <laughs> you would think. Right. Um, now, and, and it's just like when
1: you look across across the board, you're kind of come up with, well, wait, what players on Baylor? Because when I think a Big 12 championship caliber roster, you have to have some dudes, right? You have yeah. to have some guys you're like, oh, he's an all Big 12 player. Yeah. Baylor's got a good running back. Uh, they actually have two good running backs, so I will give them that. Okay. But outside of that, like, I'm tr- I'm struggling to think. Like last year, you had Siaki Ika. He's off to the NFL. That was a dude. He's no longer there. Terrell Bernard was a stud linebacker for them for like three years. He's
3: no longer there. That was a dude.
1: Now, I don't know how fair, many dudes they have. To
3: be fair to Baylor, they did play Utah close, but they played Utah close when Utah had a pig farmer at quarterback. <laughs> literally a guy that farmed pigs. Yeah, that was pig not a uh, that was not
1: a derogatory statement by Nick. That no, was, it like, was a fact. Literally yes. a guy. That used to be a pig farmer. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, no, it's not a Big 12 Championship Caliber.
3: Nobody come after In me fact, and say, oh, well, that's not very nice. You know, respect the. Dude, nobody respects pig mm-hmm. farmers more than I do. Well, okay? again, like I love bacon and I need my bacon, okay? How do you get bacon?
1: Pig farmers. That's right. Respect those guys. No, I mean, we see all the time teams that are very talented but are poorly coached. But guess what those teams do? They end up finishing like around 500. Because it's like, oh, they have so much talent, but the, they're still able to do something. The fact that they're 1-3, that this might be one of the two or three worst teams in the
3: Big 12. Yeah, I mean, is Baylor a 500-team? I don't think so. I mean... Probably three, four wins? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe if they played Kansas, that would definitely be a loss.
1: For Kansas or for Baylor? For Baylor. Well, I definitely think Kansas is a lot better than Baylor. Baylor has just owned the series. No, I know. It makes me think like no, I know. something I'm, weird I'm really would happy happen. that they don't play Baylor. Actually. Yeah. Although most of those have been like blowout losses, and it's pretty clear it'd be hard for Baylor to blow out Kansas this time. So you would Yeah, think, actually, this would be one know. of the years where you'd be like, dang. I, I don't want to play know, man. Baylor. They might still find a way. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero yesterday after Damian Lillard um, was traded to the Milwaukee Bucks both said that. The Bucks should be investigated for tampering. Okay.
3: Here's the deal. This is this is probably the truth. But in the NBA have we not learned that literally everyone tampers. It's open season. You can tamper to your weren't heart's content. You yes. To exactly. get him. Exactly. So my point is, number one, tamper better. Tamper literally, better. Okay, literally, literally just be better at tampering. So Jimmy Butler. Funny. Okay, so basically I mean, be what better. happened,
1: basically what happened, uh, Jimmy Butler took to his, I believe, Instagram story and said, yo NBA, y'all need to look in the for tampering. I'm just going to put that out there. Y'all didn't hear it from me, which that's a lie. You did, we did Obviously, hear it from Obviously, they did you. hear it from him. Yes. There's uh, literally a video of it. So Tyler Hero quote tweeted, somebody screen grabbed the video from Instagram, put it on Twitter. Yep. Uh, Tyler Hero quote tweeted that. Thank God they did that for you. I know, Because right? you would see it know. Um And he said what he said. So, okay. So he's following him. But then one tweet later for Tyler Hero, there's a tweet from NBA on ESPN. Tyler Hero remains with the Heat after having his name linked to trade reports surrounding Damian Lillard. And he quote tweeted and said, until next summer. What does that even mean? <laughs> is he basically saying that Damian Lillard will be on us next <laughs> summer? Wouldn't that then be
3: tampering? I don't know. Well, remember, Or is just, he saying he's going to gonna get, I don't just know. Just to fill in the blanks on this whole situation. When Damian Lillard originally wanted to trade, it mm-hmm. was reported numerously that he only wanted to go to the Miami Heat. And that the Miami Heat wanted Damian Lillard to go to Portland, wanted him to come to to Miami. Yeah. So there was, there's it seemed that it was obvious. Okay, well, you know, let's let's have some discussions here and, and make it happen. Everybody wins. and then Portland was like, "Nah." <laughs> and then that expired, and then that spawned this whole situation where he ends up going to the Bucks, and now Miami's like, "Well, tampering, tampering," again. My response: Tamper harder, tamper <laughs> better. Jimmy Butler, what are you doing? Everybody tampers in the NBA. That's like. That's what's like the NBA, the National Tampering League. Okay? That's what they do. So just be better. Next up is Brooks
1: Kepka, who says that uh, the live golf golfers who missed out on a spot on the U.S. Ryder Cup team should have just played better to force their way into the mix. Um, Basically, there was a lot of, you know, we heard it from... uh, you know, Bryson DeChambeau. We heard it from Zach, or not from Zach Johnson. We heard it from uh, Dustin Johnson yeah. that they felt like they should have been on the team and everything. And he was like, "Yeah, no, maybe they should just play better, and uh, then you'll get in." So, is Brooks on the team? Yes, he is. Okay, but was he? Isn't he? He has a mullet for the the event. Is he a? Was he a captain? Or no? The direct quote, by the way, was "Play better." That's always the answer. Um, is, is he, he a captain? captain? No, he was not. Okay. Uh, so Zach the, Johnson was because captain.
3: the captain's pick. Yes. Right. So if if this would have been hilarious if Brooks. Kepko was a captain, so thereby he was already on the team. But since he's not, that makes sense. But anyways, uh, I feel like this is the truth. Be better. Get good.
1: Right? He said, I don't make the decisions. It doesn't. Everybody had an opportunity to get there. I mean, I had the same opportunity as every other live player, and I'm here. It's fact. Fair, right? Yeah, I
3: think this is a pretty factual
1: statement. Yes. And I I can understand it. Yeah, of course there's good golfers that get left home. But guess what? This is picking like the best golfers had the most points there's a point system for it and and that's basically their argument that we weren't getting points as playing on the live tour as we would have gotten the pga well that's part of the decision you made to go to the live you had to understand so, your your circumstances. well i don't it's, understand it's the, it's the guy in the hot dog suit we're all trying to figure out who did this you did this this was part of your decision well, you i don't, had to I don't know that. understand they merged so what does it matter now technically the merge starts this season it didn't start last season See, that just that's dumb. Well, you know what's really dumb? I've I've been on this for years. The seasons actually, like obviously in the MLB, we have an off season between November through March. In the yes. NFL, we have an off season from you know the end February of February till whatever August, you know, August, or, August or something, right? Yeah, July. Golf goes from like basically end of August, September until the following like September, and then one week later they start the new season. Dude, so there's sucks. never a break in between. Now some that's of the terrible. golfers take a break. But it just starts a new season the next week. There's no
3: dumb. off season. That know, is that really dumb. Yeah, there needs to be more of a dude. How have the golf? How is how have golf players not unionized? and demanded <laughs> some kind of. A lot of them just skip the first few tournaments.
1: They just like take a month off, you know, um, and then they'll, they'll miss tournaments throughout the year. So it works out. But anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Mike McDaniel says in regards to the Bills game, if you need to be motivated for a game like this, check your pulse or maybe consider a career adjustment. He said, I think it's a very, very difficult challenge that I think our players are pumped up for because you sign up to play the best, and I think the Bills fit that. He adds that um, getting revenge is not on the Dolphins' mind. Mm. So the Bills, what, did they beat the Dolphins twice last year? Twice, yes. The the game that was—actually, no, I think the Dolphins won the game in Miami— yeah, the Dolphins won the game in Miami. Remembers the game that the, do- the Bills like out yarded them by like 300 yards, but they like kept getting stopped oh, in, yeah. in the red zone. Yeah, and then the Bills beat them in Buffalo in that snow game with the snowballs snow that were being thrown at like the Dolphins players. That was funny. Yeah, I and that. uh, that's the game that. Um, oh, and then uh, the Bills beat the Dolphins in the playoffs. In the first round. ah, okay, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. but it was without Tua.
3: It was, uh, yeah, no, yeah, okay, no, yeah, no, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Jogging the memory, memories, memories jogged. Mm-hmm. All right, we're caught up. Uh... First of all, word salad from Mike McDaniel. Just a lot of crap. Uh, let's break this down, okay? Revenge is definitely on the mind, okay? Yes. Team beats you in the playoffs, you don't forget that, okay? And you're thinking about that when you play them again. Hundred. So eh, lie. <laughs> uh, the part about you sound to play the best—that's that's the truth, probably. I think a lot of guys probably feel like, you know, that in the spirit of competition, you want to get to the NFL. You want to, you want to test yourself against the best, in you know, right? You want to gonna be the best. Mm-hmm. So, ding! Truth. What was the first part? I don't even remember what I, he said so much crap, I don't even remember what all he said. It was what did mostly he say? about the second part, but yeah, he was like
1: if you need to be motivated for a game like this check your pulse. I mean, I, I guess, guess that's, that's fair. Truth, or maybe you're consider alive. career adjustment. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Should a player, if you're not excited for this game, change careers? <laughs> uh, no. no. Well, I don't know, maybe. What well, if you're like the kicker? You think you really get up for the, I don't know. I, I Dude, guess you probably are the have, kicker. Yeah. You got
3: to be most, the most locked in player on the team.
1: Yeah. I guess. I just mean, like, my kicker is motivated
3: league? for this game. Did anybody ask him that? Mm. Everybody always talks about the players being motivated. Is he motivated? Does he have a pulse? Nobody knows. Huh.
1: Nobody knows.
3: Okay. All right. So, half lie, half not lie. But okay. the main theme of that quote, I would say lie. Mac
1: Jones, New England quarterback. Did you see the video where he basically hit Sauce Gardner in the privates?
3: Yes. Okay. Where so he like, like gets kinda up kinda and gives he him a like little tap. Yeah. yeah. Was uh, it with his but okay. Was it with his fist or was it was it with his hand or was it with his leg? It was with his hand. His hand. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, he denies it and uh to or this week he was asked about it and he says, "Sauce is one of the best corners in the NFL. I have a lot of respect for him. On that play, nothing was intentional. I just got up and went back to the huddle and that's it." All right, let's break this down. Okay. Sauce is one of the best corners in the NFL. Yes. True, I would say. Yes. Right? True. Does he have a lot of respect? I have
3: for a lot of respect for him.
1: Well, if
3: you're, if you're hitting him the nuts, that. maybe yeah. not.
1: Maybe you have respect for him as a football player, but maybe yeah. not as a person. Okay, so okay. lie,
3: maybe. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> on that play, nothing was intentional. <sighs> uh, there's video evidence yeah. that might make it seem, you know, you make yeah. different about that one.
1: Is he call that a lie? Just him like getting up and happening and, like, to like swinging he's his arm one and way, like you know slapping. and he's walking and then he turns around and he, right when he turns he runs in. It's like he gets up and he moves his hand. You know, <laughs> it's, it seems weird. I just got back and went back to the huddle and that's it. That
3: part's definitely a lie. <laughs> More lie because you didn't do that. Because yeah. there was clearly an incident after the play after you got up. So you didn't just get up and get back to the huddle. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Now would we? That's right. Nobody would even be asking the question. Because if you just got up and got back to the huddle, it wouldn't even been an incident. Yes. All right. So we got truth, followed by probably uh, lie, yeah. followed by lie, followed by big lie. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we, we talked about earlier
1: this week the Lou Holtz-Ryan Day fiasco, the, the argument or the, I don't know, media war that we never thought would, would be a thing, that Lou Holtz basically yeah. was on a pregame show and basically he said that Notre Dame's better. Yeah, I said Notre Dame's better. The trenches, and the reason right? why is, yeah, they're better in the trenches. They're, yeah, they're, they're like, they're, Ohio State's And tough. Ohio State isn't uh, a super tough team in the trenches. Yeah. And that's how they lost their games, which is kind of true. Like, they've lost games to teams who have been better in the trenches. Michigan and Georgia and, you know, some of those schools and stuff. And then here comes Ryan Day. Which, by the way, should we put this what, real quick? So that what? Ryan Day in the post game. Basically calls out the interview. Again, like, this is an 86 year old who formerly was Notre Holtz? Dame, He was basically giving a Notre Dame pep rally in that speech. Like who and, cares? Yeah. So, but then I don't know if you noticed this as part of when Ryan Day was blasting him in the post game uh, sideline reporter, whatever it is on the yep, field. Yep. Did you notice he said one thing? He said we've basically played one bad half of football in two years. <laughs> like, well, then why have you not won the national championship? <laughs> what do you mean? you lost to Georgia you lost to Michigan twice in the past two years Yep. what do you mean you've played one bad half of football in the last two years I feel like that is very much a lie anyway uh, Lou Holtz responds he says quote I don't feel bad about saying it because I believed it Notre Dame was a better football team three times Ohio State had fourth and one ran the ball and couldn't make it if I was coaching I would have said it I would have went to our team and said, I think you're better. I think you're more physical. I think you're more talented. But when I say something and yet I can't control the outcome of the game, that's unfair to Coach Freeman. I think this is very I well said. I think this
3: is, uh, yeah. No, this is a great clap back from Lou Holtz. Uh, shout out 86-year-old Lou Holtz for, for coming, back, coming back with this. Because, yeah, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, if you're getting stopped, then clearly your offensive line, not the best. Dude, this is going to be so – I, I, like,
1: really want Michigan to beat Ohio State into a pulp this year. <laughs> like, 42-7, to seven, just dominate on the line of scrimmage. And, like, have Jim Harbaugh, like, bring Lou Holtz you out like, to the press conference. And like my WWE best friend, style. Lou Holtz. Yeah. <laughs>
3: That'd Come on awesome. down. That'd be awesome. <laughs> by God, that's Lou Holtz's music.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be awesome.
3: But the, the, Okay, but he's 86. So, you know, mm. normally when you hear the, by God, that's whoever's – it's, you know, they sprint in. Do, you know, it's going to take a little while.
1: I'll be honest. I, I don't see a single thing in there that uh, that I see as a lie, to be honest. No, like I the, mean, the one part you could argue would be like Notre Dame was a better football team. I kind of walked away from that game saying if they were playing again, I, don't, I, I might pick Notre <laughs> Dame, honestly. You know, they just made a really bad mistake with having 10 men on the field at the end, which yeah. that can't happen, but still. That is tough. Yeah, yeah. that's tough. One. Okay, uh, Luka Doncic on chemistry with Kyrie Irving. Quote, he came in the middle of the season last year and we didn't have much time. We went straight to playing games. It takes time to do chemistry, especially on the court. So we didn't have the whole training camp, and then I mean preseason two, so I think it's going
3: to be way better. All right, so let's break this down. Yeah, here's my problem. He came in the middle of the season last year. Yeah. That's true, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fact. Didn't have much time. Yes. Fact, I guess. It does true. take time to do okay. chemistry. Sure. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's taken a chemistry class knows that, <laughs> you know— Chemistry doesn't just happen instantly, yes. right? You gotta, you know, you gotta mix in one thing, mix in the other thing, you gotta wait for them to react, and then you know, whatever, whatever you're trying to happen, you know. But so it does take time to do chemistry. No, I mean none That's of that is in factual. It's this last line. I think
1: it's going to be way better. Has there ever been yeah. a situation that has gotten better with more time with Kyrie Irving? Because it normally feels has like to be. The, the longer opposite. Kyrie Irving's at a place, the worse it
3: gets. Yeah, normally it's the opposite. Yes. Normally it's, you know, <laughs> the longer, the, the longer, if it's a slow burn, then it's it blows right. up big time, right? Right? To go back to the chemistry analogy. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, who's it going to be way better for? The other mm. team playing you. <laughs> is it going to be better for the for the flat earthers? I don't know. Is it going to be better for the round earthers? You know what's an always annoyed me about that? Flat earthers, like that's such a cool name, <laughs> flat earther. And then it, what if you if you believe the round earth is round, round earther? What that's lame. Like, they've, they, they totally won that contest when it oh came God. to the name.
1: Oh, my God. Am I
3: God. wrong? I I guess. I, I okay. Right? I'm not i not expecting mean, that from in you. In terms of PR, it makes,
1: it's great. Yeah. All right. Uh, Here's this round, by the way. Lie detector test for Chris Kleiman, head coach for Kansas State. He was uh, on a, I forget if it was a podcast or what, um, but he was asked about the Michigan State job opening. Yeah. He said. I'll be sticking in Manhattan and will not be a candidate for that job.
3: You know, I don't envy coaches that are asked about this type of stuff when you're at a, a school and another school with a lot of money and a job comes open and there somebody's like, hey, what do you think of that school? What do you think of that job? Because like, no matter what you say, I think we've talked about this before with, with like Lance Leipold and stuff, it's just a lose-lose, right? It's a lose-lose situation. Because either you're like, yeah, man, that school is great. I'm very interested in that job. And then you've pissed off everybody at your current school, or you say something like this, and then in six months you take the job and you pissed off everybody because they're like, "Wait a minute! You said you were not a candidate." It's a lose-lose situation. You can't win. I think this is probably the truth today, right now, but in five months, when Michigan State says, "Hey, we're going to give you twelve million dollars a year," it's going to be a lie, right? Yes. I, I guess though, so, but
1: I, I actually do believe Chris Kleiman. You believe him? Well, because because we have talked about this. But we talked about it last year that you know you're you're right. You're not, in, and you just mentioned it there. Like you're not as coach, just going to come out and be like, oh yeah, I'm very interested in taking the job because then all your players are going to be like, what? What? Yeah, the heck, your man, players, you your know? boosters,
3: your everybody, During and your season. program is going to yeah. be like,
1: what are we doing? Now this is a pretty definitive statement for me. And, and Chris yep. Kleiman to me seems like kind of a stand-up guy in that regard. That I I don't see him
3: being that kind of okay. Even when when you're at a program as lowly as Kansas State and Michigan State says, we're going to give you $11 million a year, $10 million a year. Well, okay, here's the
1: answer if you actually are interested. That's not something I'm worried about right now. We're just focused on the season. If you are interested in the job, that's what you say because then you don't have to worry about lying. So if a coach says that, that's probably not a good sign for you, but that kind of gets them around the question without having to be like, yeah, I'm taking the job or be like, I'm not taking the job to where it looks like you lied when you, when you do eventually take the job. Uh, I will say though, one less possible good candidate for the Michigan state job, if that is true. And that's a little more scary because maybe that could lead to more arrows to Lance Leipold. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. Pause. Okay. Justin Jefferson is on, um, so are you going to read this? Direct quote? No, I, I don't think that would be a good idea. He posted on his Instagram wait, 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 story. Wait, wait, Actually, I've got discovered. covered. Ready? Okay, one second. So, this is Instagram story. And uh, I don't know if he sensed deleted this. I feel like probably only a matter of time if it's not already deleted right now. Here's what he said it was just a black screen with text. Our defense sucks. <laughs> okay. Our defense blank sucks. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
3: is he lying? What's going on here? (laughs) Uh, I mean, without looking at the numbers for the Vikings defense in front of me. It's bad. I know they haven't been very good. It wasn't good last year either, but it somehow got worse. (laughs) So far
1: this season, the uh, Minnesota Vikings, which are interesting enough, Brian Flores is the uh, defense coordinator. I think that was a new hire for them. They're giving up 27.3 points per game. That is 26th in the NFL that seems not very good. Um, in rushing defense, they are 19th in rushing yards allowed. They are 25th in passing yards allowed. Um, they're also not really getting turnovers. And they are so 27th in total yards allowed. that he should play defense now? No, I do not believe so. I think he's just stating a fact. Honestly, <laughs> this is kind of truthful. Okay, truth. It's truth. Ended on a truth. Yeah, all right. There we go. No liar that week. All right, uh, we're going to take a time out. Greg Ostertag, National Kidney Foundation, going to join us on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, half past the hour. And with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Greg Ostertag of the National Kidney Foundation, helping support the foundation. And uh, before we get into some KU basketball talk and, and some of your career and, and everything you did in basketball, Uh, The National Kidney Foundation is hosting a Kansas City Kidney Walk on October 8th with activities starting at 9 a.m. And uh, in case some of the listeners didn't know, Greg actually donated his kidney to his sister, Amy. So, uh, Greg, I want to kind of start right there. What What is this event? What does this organization mean to you?
2: Well, just basically what you said, you know, uh, my sister uh, was diagnosed with diabetes at a very young age, four or five years old. Uh, carried it throughout her life. She passed away four years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, she called me one day in the middle of my career, uh, like I think mid-season, and uh, said, you know, her kidneys were starting to go on her. What I give her one? I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it tomorrow. So, <laughs> uh, of course, we had to wait till the end of the season. But uh, that's why it's, it's important to me. You know, it's, 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 it's for a good cause. It helps out, uh, you know, the National Kidney Foundation with being able to get people uh, who are on the list to uh, get kidney transplant, help them along, help them further along, and be able to get these. I think, I can't remember the numbers. But there's over 1,000 people, I believe, just in the Missouri area, if I, if I remember correctly, the Kansas City, Missouri area, that are on the list for a kidney. And that's a lot of people. And, you know, uh, I would encourage people, please come out to this. Please donate if you can hear my voice. Uh, and it just uh, you don't have to donate a lot. Just a couple dollars will be will go a long way, you know, if we can get a bunch of people to do it. Uh, and, uh, and, and if you're able to donate, be a live donor, I would encourage it. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it can mean the world to somebody and save their life, you know, uh, so, uh, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, I heard, I heard about this through Alonzo Jamison, uh, I was him on Instagram. I follow him on Instagram and it popped up on his Instagram one day and I contacted Ashley over at the kidney foundation and told her, uh, you know, uh, you know, what's going on and, with my story, and, and I said I'd love to help out. And they even asked me why I didn't go to da- and do it in Dallas. I said because I've got some ties <laughs> up to Kansas. So she uh, and I said I told her I said when I called her, I said you can use my name and my likeness in any way you want to for this foundation because it's very important to uh That's awesome. My parents and I. So
1: well, that, that's awesome to hear. And uh, some of the other facts about how you can know that more than eighty cents per dollar raise go to the cause. You don't you don't see that with some organizations and and that's unbelievable number there uh, you can support the cause by registering online at KidneyWalk.org slash Kansas City if you want to go. You can reach out to the National Kidney Foundation if you're considering being an organ donor, and you can give back by purchasing a golden ticket from the Kidney Walk auction, which uh, the golden tickets are an entry to win a possible trip to a selection of great locations. Obviously, you can just donate any amount of money if you want. Uh, beyond, obviously, you know the impact of, of that on your personal life and, and what it means to you, we, we've seen you back here for the Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic and everything. Um, what is it about, uh, Kansas? Cause, cause coming back here, I guess in the area with Kansas city, uh, what is it about this area that, that means something to you too, and in, in how you want to help this kind of area with some of these causes?
2: Well, you know, being a dad, I've got a soft spot in my heart, uh, for kids. I've got four of my own, uh, my, my, some of mine are older. I've got a 30 year old and I've got a 10 year old. So, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, I've, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for kids, and then when it comes to stuff like, you know, what we do with the Round Ball Classic, we're raising money for those kids. Man, it's it'll tear at your heart to watch those kids come out on the floor, and then, you know, you're just playing a basketball game, and you're lucky enough to be able to play a basketball game to help these kids out. So, and, you know, ever since I've gone to school uh, in Lawrence, that area has always had a place in my heart for, for multiple reasons. Uh, you know, obviously the the, the basketball and the, and the Jayhawks and – uh, and following that, uh, you know, my avid hunter, uh, you know, I come up there every year to hunt and I'm always looking for new ground to hunt and hint. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, in, uh, it, it, it's, it's one of my favorite places in the world. I've got three places that are dear, near and dear to my heart It's um, Texas, obviously where I grew up, uh, uh, right around the Lawrence area, just cause it's just, it's, you know, I had some really good memories there, uh, you know, uh, with, uh, playing with Roy and just being a part of that organization and always going to be until the day I die, a Jayhawk. And then, uh, is of course, Salt Lake city where I spent, you know, 10 of my 11 years. I was just, I just came back from there today doing a charity event for the jazz. And I will always be a, a jazz hawk Panther. So, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's great. Uh, well, if you want, you can send a donation and maybe put on the notes uh, if you got a good place for, for Greg to go hunting, and maybe that'll get relayed to him in some way. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I want to go back in, into your Jayhawk career here. Um, one of the games that, that we hear about so often here from some of our, our listeners of their favorite KU basketball games ever, uh, the 1993 Final Four, which was your – Sophomore season or the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four, I should say. When you guys beat Indiana, Bob Knight in that Elite Elite Eight game, uh, wh- what was it most you remember from from that game?
2: Man, I, you know that was a long time ago. Uh, I just remember it was a big game. Uh, uh, I remember uh, there's a there's a picture of me jumping straight up in the air. I was on the bench at the time, and I remember Darren Hancock, uh, I believe that's who it was, going baseline and dunking him. Just a monster dunk. I think that's who it was. Uh, on the on the baseline, and the one thing I do remember about the most was Leslie Bitzer was still doing uh, basketball then, and I was so excited she interviewed me after the game, and I leaned over and gave her a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> so, uh, but it was just one of those things, you know. As a, as a college basketball player, you go to these 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 big name schools, and, and I'm not taking away anything from anybody else, but your goal is to be in the elite, in the Final Four every year, and that's that's why. You know Kansas has that reputation and and that was our goal, obviously, and we got there uh obviously falling short of the eventual national champions, but to go into a game against you know Bobby Knight, he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, a little bit crazy, but one of the greatest coaches <laughs> of all time, and to be able to beat the, the Indiana Hoosiers right there in St. Louis was just wonderful I mean it's just it's it's memories you'll take with you forever, especially being a because You've always got to, regardless if you're playing a team that's a higher rank than you in Indiana, or you or whoever you're playing, you've always got a target on your back because you have that Jayhawk on the front. So,
1: well, to the notion on, on Bob Knight, was, was there ever a moment in the game where you could hear him just like screaming at Will at, at his uh, teammates, and you're like, man, I'm I'm glad I'm not on the receiving end of that one.
2: Uh, no, I don't, I don't really remember that, but you know, you obviously see the videos of, mm-hmm. of stuff that he used to do. You know, what he did throwing that chair, uh, was it gotta be 35 years ago, but mm-hmm. it probably got him fired the next day now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's Bobby Knight and you just, you just hear the stories, you see the videos of him chewing guys out and just know he's an intense coach that wanted to win. Uh, and he, you know, I think he even took that over to, uh, Texas tech when he went over there. So.
1: Do you have a, a favorite game, or memory, or dunk, or, or moment, something from your your KU career? Uh,
2: my, prop, uh, my probably my biggest, uh, uh, best memory, or my favorite, one of my favorite games, is the day we held uh, Big Country to zero points. Uh, my uh, my my senior game, my last game of my career at KU, my senior year, we held uh, you know. Uh, big Country was the first team All-American, I believe, at that time, uh, to zero points for the first time in his career. That's uh, fun. N- now, at the same time, Randy Rutherford gave us 45, but we still beat him. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be one of them. The game I had uh, nine blocks, I think, against Florida was a big one. Uh, obviously going to the Final Four, playing you know, in, the, in Superdome and, you know, in front of 60 or 65,000, whatever it was, how big that was. Um, there's another one, uh, we beat Indiana on the last second shot by Jacques Vaughn in at home, uh, one year, uh, was a, was a fantastic game. I think that was the, I believe that was the next year because, uh, Jacques was a, uh, maybe that was my senior year. Uh, i played two years with Jacques. So it was two years with Jacques. So it was his freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year.
1: Well, I I don't know how much you you watch basketball now, but does it bother you at all that I, I guess the the traditional big man, the traditional center, has has almost been phased out to a
2: certain standpoint. Drives me crazy. It's hard for me to watch basketball. <laughs> I can watch college basketball just because it's a little it, it, it's uh, the games mean a little more to the guy to the kids than they do, and, I, and not in a bad way, but you know, the 82 games is a long drawn out thing. You know, it's a 30 game season. Uh, for college, and especially when you get in the conference, every game means is the world. Um, and uh, the fans, I mean, I have, I've never been to one of my goals is to go watch a game at Cameron Indoor Stadium just because of the, the crazy you see on TV. But I will say, and I'm not saying it because I played there, Allen well, uh, Fieldhouse is one of the best places to play a basketball game that you could ever play. Um, uh, the game I was talking about in Florida. Uh, we were playing. It was so loud in there. I was standing next to Jacques, and I couldn't hear the ball hit the floor. Mm. That, that's what college basketball is all about. Uh, you know, obviously at KU when they introduced the other team, everybody held up the papers and rattled them, and you know made noise. And then uh, when they went to do the Jayhawks, everybody tore it all up and threw it in the air. It's just they camp out before the games. I understand they do it at other t- other schools, but they camp out before the games, which makes it just you see the passion and the love they have for the Jayhawks and it's just it's just cool to be a part of well
1: I mean you've been in a lot of big moments in arenas playing in a final four playing in an NBA finals game how, how would you compare all those different environments playing in Allen Fieldhouse playing in a final four playing in an NBA finals game or NBA playoffs uh, with Utah or in another arena how, how would you kind of compare and contrast some of those
2: uh, I think they're probably pretty close again you know I played in Utah 10 of my 11 years uh, the Utah fans are very, very passionate about their jazz. Uh, even in the down years, they still, you know, came out to support them. Uh, you know, they had a couple down years there. Uh, and again, uh, you know, bias on a bias side, I am very, uh, I, it's hard. It's hard to compare the, the fans in Utah to any other place. They're really they're passionate and they're fun. And again, I've had games where you couldn't hear the ball hit the floor and you're standing next to it. Uh, John standing there dribbling the ball, Stockton and can't hear the ball And his in the finals and going to get being a, being in the position I was, I, I got drafted by the perfect team for me, for the way I play. Uh and having uh, uh being able to play with two of the best ever step on the floor is something that I can take to my grave with me and some you know, some guys will never have got to do that. I never won a championship, but I did never lose have a losing season in my career. Uh, I played with John and Carl. You know, two of the top fifty. I would say probably even the top fifteen players to ever step on the floor. Uh, I played for two of the best coaches to ever coach the game. Uh, you know, Jerry never won a uh, coach of the year, uh, and even that was even the year we even the year we won. We had the best record in basketball. Uh, obviously, playing for Roy, who's you know hall of fame and got his titles and that went back to his home home state of North Carolina, his home uh, school in North Carolina and and finished out his career on a high note. I, I, you know, I can't complain about my career, guys. It was a fantastic career. Uh, obviously my career was full of highs and lows, but the highs outweigh the lows by quite a bit.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Roy Williams, your, your head coach in college, uh, one of the all-time greats in college basketball. Do you have a favorite Roy Williams story? We've we've heard some good ones from some past players. Uh, uh, I, I know we heard a lot of good ones from uh, you know some of the players in in the early stages of uh, the difficulties of, of some of his conditioning tests and uh, some of the, the fun stuff in practice.
2: Do you have a favorite Roy Williams story? Uh, one of my favorites is you know Cor- uh, Roy Roy would never never cut. And when he did, you really did something wrong. Well one practice, I was running my mouth when I shouldn't have been, and he told me to shut the F up <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so I did, and at the end, and we always had post-practice conditioning, always every never, never didn't run. He calls anybody, everybody in at the end of practice, and he looks at us and he goes, "All right, good practice today. We're not going to have conditioning today. You can thank Greg for that. Uh, because of what I said, but if it ever happens again, <laughs> point taken, sir. I got it.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so again, the the National Kidney Foundation. Uh, once again, if it. If you can, go out to support the event on October 8th. The Kidney Walk will be at uh, 9 a.m. is when things kind of open up. The The walk itself starts at 10 a.m. Plenty of ways you can donate or get involved. Greg, I appreciate the time and uh, sharing some of these stories with us and, and what this foundation and everything means to you. Uh, thank you again, and, and have a great rest of your week, and uh, I, I guess see you out there for the people that are going to attend for the Kidney Foundation in a few weeks here.
2: If I can add one more little thing, uh, Ashley asked me to say something about this. She was going to let me tell you. We're going, currently we've got uh, 500 walkers. I would like to challenge everybody to get us up to a thousand walkers. I think that'd be fantastic. If it's not that big of a it's not that big of a loop. It won't take you long. Come out and support us, uh, you know. And, uh, and 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 if you can donate as little as little five dollars to the kidney foundation, it'll go a long way. And we really appreciate it. So I hope to see you there. If you do see me there, tell me you heard me on the radio. Bring something for me to sign. I'll do it. I'll take a picture. I'll I'll, I'll put my best on my best face on that day. So, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, but come and come support us. I'd love to see everybody out there. And let's get us up to a thousand walkers. I think it'd be fantastic.
1: There we go. Greg Ostertag, National Kidney Foundation. Thanks again, man.
2: All right, bye We'll talk
1: to you. Appreciate it. Bye. All bye. right. That is Greg Tag. and again the National Kidney Foundation. Check that out on October 8th. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN depending on it. Welcome back to RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star KansasCity.com will uh, hop on with us on the show coming up in uh, about 15 minutes from right now. So um lance leipold was on what was it the jim rome podcast yeah jim rome
3: other uh, podcast or show i'm not really sure uh
1: was it, just the,
3: was it just the podcast
1: well actually this was on the austin american statement statesman um on second Thought podcast oh um but yeah he was on the jim rome show too anyway he, he was he was asked about the you know just coaching jobs kind of in general and Obviously, I'm I'm sure this was brought up specifically as it pertains to the Michigan State job, but, you know, it obviously applies to more than just that job because there are going to be constantly jobs that open up in the Big Ten or the middle of the country or just around the country. They're good jobs. Um, And he said that on the podcast that Kelly and him, Kelly, his wife, are happy and don't want to relocate Landon. Landon, the son who Nick gets to call some of his games for free state, a really good receiver. Having a great season. Yeah, Yeah, and he's uh, a junior, correct? Uh, Yes. So that would mean if they did hypothetically take another job they'd be relocating him heading into a senior year. I I've, I've mentioned this on the show. He said, quote, you can never say never in this game because you never know exactly what happens internally or externally. But it's our expectation that we finish my career at the University of Kansas. You know who did say never? Chris Kleiman. <laughs> That's true. Chris Kleiman <laughs> did say never. never. So he said never. that So what is does that, that mean? A differentiator there? Ooh. You can never say Between never. Between the team. he Did no. say never. Mm. No, but the, the way I read this, I, I think it's a couple things. One, that kind of goes back in line with what I've been saying about that's really tough to move your kid going into a senior year of high school. I know that's not the be-all, end-all. And, like, at the end of the day, sometimes you can't perfect timing and you just have to take it and move on with it. And, yeah. you know, if you're, the, if you're the son of a head coach of the new football team in in the city – it's probably going to be a lot easier of a transition for you to a new high school as a senior. Like everybody's going to know who you are. You're going to be big man on campus still, yeah. right? But but still, it you know that that is tough to do to a kid. And yeah.
3: um, well, and, and you know, it's something I never experienced.
1: I mean, I went to the same school. Sure. From kindergarten, yeah, I, I moved All a lot. the way so to I, I, graduation, I've undergone that. It is tough to move schools okay. just in general. It's very tough to move when you are you know in. I mean, and I went the with the same
3: school. dude. I was with the same kids at five that I was at eighteen. Yeah.
1: No, I, I, I remember succinctly it being it being difficult as a kid. The the hardest one was my last move moving into eighth grade. That was tough because there were a lot of kids who knew each That's other a bad all time, throughout dude. elementary school.
3: I mean, dude, 12, 13-year-olds. Right, right. The puberty, the puberty juices are pumping. Yeah. It's and, bad time. <laughs> yeah, and then and you have your
1: final year of that school in eighth grade. It's tough, so I I can totally understand that. I can understand that that kind of point of view and stuff. Um, But the part where it says... You never say never in this game because you never know what exactly what happens internally or externally. What 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 do you think that means? We're trying to play. Well, I mean, the external part know, read makes TVs. a lot of sense.
3: It just means you know you never know what new job might come open. You never know what kind of offers might happen. The so is part that basically of that, that leaving that
1: a creek open in the door in case it were like like what if Alabama came calling? Yeah. You know? Well,
3: the part that I'm I, more I don't intrigued know. by with that comment is the internal part. Yes, internally. Well, That's that, where I found very interesting. So is he? Is that basically a suggestion of like, well, you know, if Travis Goff leaves, or if you know, is the stadium renovations don't come together the way they hope, or you know, the, there's not sure. enough, well, there's not like enough if, donor support for the football program, right. Not enough, whatever, this, that, or the other, that that impacts. Yeah, the way you. I think land, it's probably you
1: know? more that latter. It could be like you said, tied to you know. Maybe he has a great relationship with Travis Goff and, and Goff's obviously done really well for KU. Yeah. What happens if there were to be a new Which, AD at some point? Goff is a KU guy job, right? that you would think would is sure. probably not going to be leaving sure. anytime soon. Um uh, but he's basically maybe he's he's basically leaving himself an out so that somebody can't be like Oh well, you said this that you would never leave two years ago or, or whatever, but then he could be like, okay, but now there's been material changes with you know who's inside the athletic or something like that. Sure. I do think it has more so to do with with what you mentioned in the latter. I think the internal part is more to do with, okay, but we're we need fan support, we yeah. need sellouts to these games, we need fan support not just in terms of showing up to the games, we need fan support from a donation perspective for the gateway season project ticket holders Season ticket holders. All that stuff. But the gateway project that they're trying to raise mm-hmm. all these funds for the new stadium. Yeah. That's part of the internal part. And oh, absolutely. it does make you wonder because that was part of the uh the contract extension. He just signed last offseason. It wasn't just a money bump for him and, and more <laughs> years on the contract. It was also part of it for him was making sure there were pressures applied to KU that they were going to put forth a good effort in NIL money in uh, donors, like funds being raised for facilities and NIL and some of these other things. And uh, I I would imagine if if you're Travis Goff, if you're the KU Athletic Department, you know, maybe there is a bit of a worry internally about that because um, it's easy to see the big contracts that, you know, like Michigan state gave the Mel Tucker the 10 year, $90 million extension and just view that as money for him. But you can also view that as clearly they have money that is able to go around then for the facilities, for the upgrades. And as much as the Big Ten, the contracts are going to give them even more money to be able to throw around bleep you money. At the same point in time, that won't be NIL money because NIL money has to come from businesses, not from the school. So even though they'll be making more money on the TV contracts, I don't know how much that helps NIL money. Uh, Nonetheless, this this is basically me circling around to say, I, I think this is twofold. This is Lance Leipold basically applying pressure on KU on the donors to be like, if you don't pony up, I have other places I can go. Whether this that's just you basically doing that to try to make sure it happens, which you know that's totally fine uh, way to do it. Yeah. Or if that's actually because if it's not there, you actually will leave for another job. I think that remains to be seen, but the end of the day here, this is how I'm reading this quote. If KU takes care of business and takes care of the facilities and the projects and the NIL money, they have nowhere to go or, or they they have no intentions
3: of leaving.
2: Yeah. But it's and, all on and, KU and at listen, that point
3: or at, or the people around at KU. At this point, Travis Goff has been very publicly outspoken about this very subject, right? I mean, he's been very, very publicly in out in front of it of saying, hey, listen, you know, fan support. We need, you know, fans to show out. We need donations, whatever season ticket orders, all that stuff. So, this is not new, right? This is not something necessarily new. Travis Goff has been pretty, pretty outspoken about it from his, from his standpoint of trying to drum up fan support. And part of the narrative around KU football, I think, when they were really bad was, you know, the Jayhawks have a very, very passionate fan base, and they'll show up when the, when, when, if you have something worth showing up for. And I think now the KU Athletic Department, Lance Leipold, Travis Goff, the football program are saying, okay, we have something that's very much worth showing up for now. And fans and donors need to need to show up as well, right? To, to keep this thing going, right? To keep Lance Leipold at Kansas to continue to build and grow and to and to make sure you execute the stadium facilities exactly the way you want it to, right? Because kind of I talked about this a little bit uh, when it's when they first announced the the Gateway Project. This is kind of a home run or bust type project for Kansas, right? Mm-hmm. You're gonna have one swing at this to get it right with the stadium with everything else, and that's it. So you got to make sure you have everything lined up perfectly. You got to make sure you have all the proper money you need, everything, all your ducks in a row, to really knock this thing out of the park and to make it what you want it to be, which is one of the premier college football game day experiences for fans. On top of having a, a quality football team, plus everything else you want involved with as well. I mean, this is a very, very ambitious project. So, and a lot goes into that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think from the Lance Lightpole perspective, why, why would he want to leave at this point? I mean, KU is on the rise. They're a, a nationally on the on the on the precipice of being a really truly nationally prominent program, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see where this goes. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us
1: in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner, and DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day in September. Code KLWN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and older. Physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms Sportsbook.draftKings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Two hours down, one to go. Jesse Newell joins us next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Jesse, the beat writer for the Kansas City Chiefs with the star and a two-and-one start for the Chiefs. Uh to this point, obviously very easily could have been three and zero. Oh. Uh, What to you has been the thing that has maybe exceeded your expectations the most through the first three weeks of the season?
4: Yeah, I would say they're second-year players, um, especially on defense. You know, Um, we were already lauding their class last year for how, you know, Isaiah Pacheco and uh, guys like, you know, even Trent McDuffie and and George Karloftis and guys like that were contributors to a a Super Bowl, Jalen and Joshua Williams, and how they did so good, you know, in that Tyree Kiltree, had to get those pieces, have those young pieces available and, and integrate them in and have them play well. But, man, I, I, I was not anticipating Trent McDuffie and George Karloftis to take the kind of leap forward that they have this year. And all of a sudden, you look at their defense and you go, this this defense has a lot of good players. And it has a lot of good players performing at a really high level. And when you have that, the makings of that together, they can be a great defense when playing together and kind of knowing, having a knowledge of how everybody else is going to react to a certain play. So that, to me, has sort of been the the highlight for the Chiefs, the the best development for them. But if they get that sort of production from those guys, not only this year but the next two years after this, on their rookie deals, then, uh, boy, they've really hit home runs with that draft class, even more so than we thought a year ago when we were already singing their praises and saying, the Chiefs definitely had a draft class that we're going to remember for a long time.
1: Yeah, and uh, I guess to the notion on, on the success of the defense, because even in the Lions game without Chris Jones, they, they looked pretty good. Now, on one hand, it's pretty fun if you have a great defense and you add a Hall of Fame player. But do you, do you think what the defense looks like in all those good young players that you've mentioned? I mean, even last week doing it without Nick Bolton, although you know the Bears aren't anything to write home about. Uh, do you think it makes it more likely, I I mean, it seems like there's certainly already been a contract impasse for Chris Jones, but that the the, the Chiefs would feel comfortable moving on and being like, well, we have George Karloftis, we have all these other guys, that it's going to be fine without Chris Jones.
4: Yeah, I mean, it makes you believe that more so. And again, he had huge plays against the Jaguars, so I don't want to diminish what he's done, but uh, we can also look at the Vegas line, and when Chris Jones was out, it seemed like it impacted the line maybe a half a point. When Travis Kelsey was out, it impacted it like two to three points. So, at some point, if you're in the chief front office, you take a hard sit down and look and say, you have to spend your dollars at the positions and the players that actually impact winning on the field. And uh, I think you're right there. You know, you look at this and you just say, hey, how much of this is impacting the team on the field? And as more of these players are producing and showing that they have a higher level of ability than we thought they did, you know, 12 months ago, then you, all of a sudden you think, yeah, I mean, maybe there is an easier way, an easier path forward when they don't have Chris Jones available. And not to mention, they don't have Charles Ameida, who if you'd asked me before the season, I probably would have put a wager that he would have been like the third best defender on the Chiefs defense and would be behind Chris Jones and Nick Bolton. So, uh, yeah, I, I think all those things come together, and that's sort of where the Chiefs always lived in the zone of like, hey, if it's not Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, everything else is movable and replaceable. And I think we're going to see with his defense, if you can draft well, develop well, and have these guys step into the roles like they have this season, maybe there is more wiggle room to go without defenders or without certain superstar players uh, that maybe you wouldn't have believed here in the, in the last few months. So I do think that's probably the way this thing is going to proceed, is that Chris Johnson to be playing on another team and be very well-compensated playing on that other team next year. But in the meantime, they have him, and he's produced some game-wrecking plays in the first two games, too, so they'll enjoy having him here and move on without him next year and most likely save that salary cap room to try to do and maneuver some different things than uh, they did with him when they had to have him on the roster. All
1: right, I have, a, I have an early kiss-mary-kill for you here. Uh, contract extensions for three different players. Chris Jones, Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey.
4: Yeah, I will. I will marry Creed Humphrey. Um, I I think when you get a center, and uh, those are the positions you potentially can hit on for eight, nine, ten years, even more, just because they're not going to ask for top of market, top of market money at, at that particular position, and just to, to solidify that spot and have it moving forward. It, it seems like those two parties will be very motivated to have that deal done. I'll, I'll definitely kiss the one on Nick Bolton. Um, I think you kind of put him in the discussion with Chris Jones, though, which is when he wasn't in there and Drew Tranquil played for him, and we know the Chiefs got Drew Tranquil on the chief because he's an off-ball linebacker, and the NFL doesn't really value that as much. You know, against the Bears, at least, you couldn't tell too much difference out there. And, again, that's not a knock on Nick Bolton. He set the team record for tackles last season. It's just I I think he would sort of have to have one of those deals where it's like, okay, let's come together on the two sides, and if you enjoy winning and playing with the Chiefs, they could come to something. But... Is he a vital, vital part of defense? Uh, again, I think we saw last week that potentially he's one of their best players on defense. But as more players are emerging and stepping up, he might not be the absolute key cog that that we might have considered a couple years ago. And yeah, I'll kiss. I mean, I'm sorry. I'll kill the one on Chris Jones. I, I just think that the salary cap room that it would take to have so many superstar players on the roster, and I'm including Patrick Mahomes now that he got that increase in his salary as well, it just doesn't seem as likely that the Chiefs will have to uh, go out and do that sort of thing and a contract on that sort of player to uh, to tie up so much money and so much, put so many of their eggs in one basket. So I will kill that one and think that he'll be playing for a different team in the 2024 season. Doesn't mean that he can't help the Chiefs go out there and potentially win another Super Bowl here in 2023.
1: Uh, Well, you mentioned Drew Tranquil there. Has he been their best addition, draft, free agency, any addition they've made over the offseason so far?
4: Hmm. Probably pretty close, and... I think this speaks to sort of the depth we talk about with the Chiefs, which is it just covers you from the, I mean, last year, Nick Bolton injury would be catastrophic. You know, like who's making the mic calls, who's the green dot, who's communicating the signals. You know, the Chiefs tried to get like Darius Harris in there for extra snaps and he filled in okay. But like, it was always kind of hold your breath filling in uh, filling in when he was in there. But Drew Tranquil, Drew Trankel was in there and didn't miss a beat. And um, again, there were times where, it was hard to remember that Nick Bolton wasn't out there just because the defense was functioning at such a high level. So you would have to put him up there. I mean, I think by the end of the season, it's going to be Juwan Taylor because I think he's been really good in pass protection. Uh, you have know, the injuries, or I'm sorry, the, the penalties have been just as bugaboo so far. I think that'll get under control here later. And as that happens, I mean, the fact that he can just basically shut down whoever's on that right side from rushing the passer and getting in Patrick Mahomes face that's a really vital weapon to have. But um, that guy or Charles Menehu, we'll see how he impacts the defense later on. But as of right now, I think you'd have an easy case and probably the best case for Drew Tranquil and for him to be able to step in and do exactly what Nick Bolton did for a game and, again, make you wonder or make you even not realize at moments that Nick Bolton was not in there. I think that says a lot about him and a lot about the Chiefs being able to go out and get some depth and some much-needed depth at that position to have it so that there is not this catastrophic drop-off if Nick Bolton isn't in your lineup.
1: All right. What about through the first three weeks, something that maybe is underachieved to expectations? I don't know. Maybe it would go back to to Juwan Taylor because of some of those penalty things, like you said, even though uh, the future looks bright there. Uh, Is there anything that sticks out the most? I I think there's probably a position that comes to mind, too, uh, about underachieving through the first three games.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would we obviously know the receivers and the struggles they had the first game. I think it's been better since then and obviously Travis Kelsey coming back into the mix helps things out there. I'd actually probably point to the run blocking just because if you look at this, if you like zoom way out on the Chiefs and what's happened in the last couple of years. You remember two years ago in the Bengals game when the Bengals beat the Chiefs in the NFC Championship game where they dropped eight in coverage. And the Chiefs tried to pass their way through that. You know what I mean? And it didn't work. That's Mahomes had one of the worst halves of his career and they weren't able to do it. The next year they come out and what did they do? They had way more two tight end sets, way more three tight end sets. They go out and they draft Isaiah Pacheco, who's a super power runner. And there were times where teams tried to play the Chiefs super light and and kind of drop a bunch of people in coverage. And the Chiefs had a counterpunch to that. You know, they were able to run the ball down your throat and be able to, you know, succeed in those very big downs to be able to say, hey, if you're going to play that certain way and try to stop Mahomes in this way, well, there's another thing that, that Chiefs can win with, and that's their physicality. I think early on this season, the tackles, and this is sort of what we expected coming in, especially from Juwan Taylor, who if you look at his pro football focus grade, amazing in pass blocking, really bad in run blocking. That's sort of been the M.O. on him and, and Donovan Smith so far. Is that They've been pretty good in pass protection and been pretty bad in run blocking, but it's sort of taken away that counterpunch from the Chiefs, which is now they're facing a bunch of zone coverages. Teams are backing off Patrick Mahomes. They're kind of trying to pick on those inexperienced of the receivers, but they're able to do it because the Chiefs can't effectively run the football. So I would say that's the biggest disappointment to this point. I saw flashes last week of it working out better against the Bears, and I think that's a promising sign. I talked to Donovan Smith in the locker room. He said, hey, um, I want to run the ball more. I want them to call more run plays. And I think that's the sort of mindset, the mentality that the Chiefs have to have, their offensive line have to have, to get them out of this kind of mini-offensive funk because if you look back to the Jacksonville game in Week 2 – 26 plays in the first half, two designed runs. I mean, I, I know Andy Reid loves throwing the ball, but that sort of thing is out of whack by anyone's standards to be able to, to drop back and expect you're going to throw the ball 24 out of 26 times. So I think they need to get the run game going better. I think they need better execution. But the good news for them is that they've got an offensive line coach, Andy Hecht, honestly a head coach in Andy Reid who knows that position so well. You expect a lot of improvement throughout the course of the season. So if that bounces back and that – is better like it was last week in Chicago then. I think it opens up a lot in the past game and takes some pressure off of Patrick Mahomes and those receivers to not be perfect when the teams are just dropping byes against them and making them throw into some tight windows.
1: Well, uh, certainly there was a lot after that first game of you know Chiefs fans wishing and dreaming for a guy like Mike Evans or, or different receiver trades. How likely do you think that would be? Not necessarily Mike Evans, and, and if the Bucks keep winning, obviously that probably goes off the table anyway, uh, but just that the Chiefs would make a trade for some receiver out there uh, before the trade deadline hits, or I don't know, is there another position you could see them targeting? Uh, backup quarterback? I don't, I, I don't know. Would there, would there be anything they could go for in the trade market?
4: Yeah, I think the problem with the receiver is that kind of the issues the Chiefs face right now. To me, it's not a talent issue; it's a familiarity issue. And and I was story up today on the Stars website, like Travis Kelsey's catch, touchdown catch against the Bears was a route he made up. He was supposed to run a corner route, and instead he ran the opposite way, and Mahomes found him. And so, so much of what they do is just kind of making it up on the fly, reading defenses, and, and having that post-snap ability to change plays and alter things so that the defense cannot counter you back. And, I mean, I think Rashi Rice is talented. I think Sky Moore is talented. I think those guys are good players. I think where they struggle is that when Mahomes is reading things the exact same way as Travis Kelsey, he's not reading things the same way as those young receivers who are kind of caught in the middle of like trying to run the line in the playbook and then trying to run the line that Patrick Mahomes wants them to run post snap. And so any receiver you bring in, I mean, they can be good. They can be talented, but I feel like you're going to face those same struggles. Now i say that and the guy like Juju Smith-Schuster came in immediately last year. And I could be your kind of argument to say, Hey, better receiver, he kind of hit it right off the bat with, uh, with Patrick Mahomes, but you still have a summer. You still have an OTA then. You still have a training camp to kind of gain that chemistry. I think it's in the Chiefs are in a spot right now where it makes the most sense for them not only short-term but for long-term to be able to kind of put those guys out there, continue have them learn on the fly, and, and have this sort of adjustment period now so that they can benefit in weeks, you know, 16, 17, 18, and on into the playoffs where those guys are a little bit more comfortable with Patrick and Patrick's a little bit more comfortable with them. But, you know, as far as trades go, I – I don't know. I mean, the Chiefs don't have a boatload of salary cap space. We know that. But um, it probably just can rely on where their depth is and where the injuries pop up. You just don't know week to week in the NFL. Uh, I mean, if, if Nick Bolton's injury, which we don't expect to be severe, but if it continues to linger and then they get another linebacker injury, well, then, yeah, I think linebacker could be one. You know, if, if Prince Tegelonogo is out for the rest of the season, which seems likely with a torn quad, and then another of their tackles goes down, like a, a Donovan Smith, who uh, obviously was injury, had some injuries to deal with last year, then, you know, obviously the offensive tackles. You, you want to add some depth there potentially. But as of right now, I mean, I guess knock on wood, if you're a Chiefs fan, you know, they look pretty set at all those positions based off of what we know now. Doesn't mean things can change or won't change in the future, but it means right now they're in a pretty good position with their roster and playing at a level where uh, you don't see too many holes to fill in, which is obviously an enviable spot to be in.
1: Talking with Jesse Newell, Kansas City.com, Kansas City star here on RCST. Uh, circling back to Juwan Taylor here. Do do you think the public comments that were made, because we don't don't typically see Andy Reid kind of go out of his way to, I don't know, bash someone or or the officials or anything like that very often. And the fact that you hear him, Patrick Mahomes, some of these guys making public comments, do do you think that's going to be enough to kind of reverse the discourse on uh, Juwan Taylor and and some of the, uh, I I don't know, debatable lineups of, of where he's been lining up on the field, I guess?
4: Well, I think it's something Andy Reid knew he had to do. And the week before, he kind of put the onus on John Taylor and said, hey, look, he knew the spotlight was going to be on him. He knew he couldn't line up like that. He did it anyway. It's on him to get it fixed. But then this last week happened against the Bears, and, you know, it's it's getting pretty evident that the officials are laser-focused on him and only him. And, you know, I looked up these numbers at NFLPenalties.com. Usually when there's a legal formation penalty, the official doesn't list a specific number because they don't have to. I mean, the offense is what's lined up illegally. You know what I mean? It could be a bunch of different guys, but you're not required to say a number. But so far this season there's been four of those illegal formation penalties that have been called on an offensive tackle. Three of them have been on Juwan Taylor. So do you have just imagine you're having a little bit of a bar mm. graph here. So you've got thirty two <laughs> teams in the NFL. You've got thirty of them with zero offensive tackles, you know, marked off. You've got Jordan Malata of the Eagles with one, which actually was declined, but we'll still give him one in the bar graph. And then you've got Juwan Taylor towering over everyone and 30 other NFL teams with three. It's becoming pretty evident that uh, you know, there's a target on his back. So I think it's something that Andy Reid had to say. I think it was smart to defend this player, and I think that this thing will calm down over time. But uh, this is a good test case because guess who's going to be in the broadcast booth on Sunday Night Football this week? It would be Chris mm. Collinsworth. And I think he's the one that sort of started this whole ordeal when he mentioned it so much in that Thursday night football game that was a standalone game and sort of made it so that people had to pay attention to it or the league had to was sort of forced to respond to make sure that uh, something was done. So I think it will cool down here, and I think Jawan Taylor will do his best to even get closer to the line of scrimmage, which is what a lot of offensive tackles do. They just say, hey, I've, I've got to not get a penalty here. Uh, but I do think it was, it was wise on the arena part to say, look, If you're going to call Jawan Taylor for this, there needs to be 60 illegal formation calls next week. It needs to be two on every single team because this isn't going to be just a Jawan Taylor thing. I think that's kind of where the pendulum has swung to this point, and I think that's the point where this is, where the officials are are going to have to go back to only calling the egregious ones on Jawan Taylor. So now it's up to Jawan Taylor to make sure that there are no egregious ones. I think that's going to happen in this Jets game, that uh, both sides will kind of come even a little bit more toward the middle, but I do not anticipate him getting a flag this week, at least for that specific penalty.
1: Uh, So the Chiefs take on the Jets on Sunday. What is most notable about this matchup to you now that the uh, Jets are are without Aaron Rodgers and we continue to not be able to see Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers?
4: Yeah, are you guys ready for the most watched Sunday night football game in NFL history? Because (laughs) That is what you should be prepared for because about 50% of the broadcast will be on the field and 50% of the broadcast will be focused on. Uh, what the other half of the audience wants to see, or maybe two-thirds of the audience wants to see, which is Taylor Swift and her suite, going nuts. What is she wearing? What can be sold out the next week? What clothing is going on there? Uh, so it is, it's its is—it's—it's fascinating to think that, uh, you know, this what was going to be a Rodgers-Mahomes matchup that would have been root for the NFL. But instead, it's better for the NFL because a very famous uh, celebrity is going to be in attendance, uh, reportedly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... The Chiefs defense could take a half step back. I think they've been winning all these third and fourth downs, which are the money downs, which is great for them, but not always sustainable. So you can anticipate them to take a half step back. Having said that, Zach Wilson is probably the worst starting quarterback in the NFL. So um, most of this is going to, onus is going to be on the Jets defense to keep this close game. We know the Chiefs have had some struggles in there and that maybe the windows won't be as open this week uh, because the secondary is very good. And obviously the defensive line is really, really good for the Jets. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think Vegas has us a nine and a half point spread. I don't always feel this way, but I feel that's about right this week. I think the Chiefs win this by about 10. Uh, they could struggle some offensively. The Jets continue to struggle defensively or offensively, but still score some points. and This ends up being a 20-something to team-something game for the Chiefs, and they're able to still get out of there with a victory and continue their march on You know, to uh, whatever it's going to be. I mean, um, I'm not predicting 16-1 for the Chiefs or something getting that record that close, but I'll tell you what, their schedule seems to have lightened up. The AFC West doesn't seem to be as good, and some of their early-scheduled games don't seem to be as tough as we anticipated before the season started. So uh, if they can continue that train rolling uh, in this particular game and take care of business, then uh, it's one week closer to them being close to uh, potentially getting that top seed again, and we know that's really important in the NFL with only one team each conference getting that bye.
1: He is Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Jesse, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a great rest of your week and have fun uh, with all the Swifties this weekend.
4: All right. Sounds good, Derek. we Will do.
1: That was Jesse Newell, KansasCity.com, Kansas City Star, joining us here on RCST to talk a little Kansas City Chiefs football. Uh, we're going to take a time out here. We've got some KU football player audio with Cornell Wheeler, who had kind of a breakout game last week for KU against BYU. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk. This is FM 101.7, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.